Amen. Well, good morning, Vertical Church. I, uh, I have the privilege this morning to kick off the new series called This Is Us. And the heart of this series is, um, hey, this will be a great place for an amen. We're not the only church in St. Paul. Hey, let's get a little louder than that. Hey, Vertical Church is the, is the savior of no one. Amen? amen? Praise God that we don't have to be the only church in this city. Praise God that there are amazing churches that we just adore. Uh, they aren't competition, they're reinforcement. Praise God for those churches. And at the same time, there are a few things about vertical church that makes us distinct. A few things that maybe more than other churches, um, we prioritize and push our chips in and plant our flag on. And one of those things is prayer. So I shared this story uh, at our prayer gathering. And so for the 12 of you who are there, I'm sorry, this is going to be a repeat. In fact, I've shared this story a couple of times now, but, but I think this is a kind of story we need just in the DNA of this church. This is the kind of story that um, we need to tell our kids so they can tell their kids. This story is about D.L. Moody. Moody was a preacher in Chicago and uh, he was supernaturally gifted, and so he was invited to preach all around the world. And so during one of his first trips to England, it was Sunday morning, he was preaching, and it was just one of those sermons that, that just was not landing at all. It was one of those sermons where one or two ladies come up after the service and just say, I can tell that message meant a lot to you. Just, that's the worst feedback you can give a preacher, okay? That's the worst, worst feedback you can give. It was, it was one of those messages, complete swing and a miss. So when Moody invited people at the end to follow Jesus, unsurprisingly, nobody came up. To make matters worse, he was scheduled to come back that night and preach again, and so he reluctantly returned. But what he found Sunday night was a completely different atmosphere. Now, this time, as he started to preach, people were just sitting on the edge of their seat, hanging on every word he said. And so when he got to the end of the message, he said, okay, if you want to trust in Christ tonight, go ahead and stand up. And people all across the room stood up. This completely confused D.L. Moody. So he said, okay, maybe they didn't understand me. So he had them all sit down and he said, okay, I'm going to go through the gospel again. This time, if you really want to follow Jesus, Stand up. Well, you guys, this time more people stood up the second time than the first time. So Moody, still not convinced, evangelists just don't do this nowadays, not convinced, said, sit back down. I want to talk you through the gospel again. And this time, if you want to trust in Christ, I will be at a room after service. Go meet me there and I'll teach you how to follow Jesus. So he goes through the gospel, he closes the service, he goes to the room, and it's packed, standing room only. Moody, still not convinced, said, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, come back tomorrow night. Your pastor will be here. He can help you answer your questions. So Moody had to leave town. He leaves town. A few days later, he receives a telegraph from the pastor saying, quote, you've got to get back here more people showed up on Monday night than were here on Sunday night. God is doing something in this town. Long story short, you guys, it's one of those stories in church history 
where nearly the entire city ended up trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Here's what I love about the story. Moody, an inquisitive guy, wanted to figure out what in the world happened between Sunday morning when everyone's falling asleep and Sunday evening when everyone's following Jesus. And so after some research, he found out there was a bedridden woman in the town who had not been at church that morning because she was ill. But her sister had gone to church. And when she brought this bedridden woman her lunch, the sick woman said, how was church? And the sister said, eh, a guy named D.L. Moody was here, but nothing really happened. At that, the sick woman sat up and said, quote, I've heard about Moody and how God has blessed his preaching in America. I've been praying that he would come to this town. Quick, set aside my food. I'm going to fast and pray today that many people would come to know Christ in our city through this man's preaching. Same people. Same place. Same preacher. The only difference between everyone falling asleep and everyone following Jesus was one woman willing to pray. Vertical Church, this spring we've got the same people, the same preacher, sorry, the same place. The only difference between this city falling asleep or everyone in this city following Jesus is if someone, anyone, will sit up and pray. And before I begin, guys, I just, I want to repent to you. Because I have not done well at making us a praying church. I'm sorry for that. As I got away this, this, uh, over the holidays, and I went to the Lord and just honestly said, Lord, I don't get it. Like, I think we're doing everything you want us to do. We're preaching your word. We're worshiping your son. We're declaring your gospel. We're loving your people as best we can. I don't get it. Why is our city still sleeping? And he said to me, not audibly, but it wouldn't have been any more clear if it was. He said, you're still too strong. He said, you guys aren't weak enough. And I heard him say, if vertical church will pray, it's the beginning of real revival. And if vertical church will not pray, it's the beginning of the end. He said, Chris, just stop worrying about who's not in the room and just get who's ever in the room to pray and you will see real revival. And so that's our heart this, this spring. That's our heart behind this series. You know, it's been said we overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in five. You guys, what if God just wants you to learn how to pray this year? Like push aside all the resolutions. What if, what if the only thing he wants you to major in this year is prayer? In fact, I would, I would say it's stronger. I would say that is what he wants for you. If you don't already have a vibrant prayer life, I think God wants 2020 to be the year of prayer for you. You say, how do you know God wants that for me? Because if you do anything else this year and you don't pray, 
at the end of the year, you'll be able to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy and cast out demons and lose 10 pounds and read 50 books and all of these great things, finish my decree, balance my budget, and he will say, Matthew 7, 23, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, communion with Jesus, knowing Jesus, what we call prayer, must be the priority and the passion of this church and of your life. Communion with Jesus. So this morning, we're going to learn just what prayer is. Our modest goal this morning is just to try to get a definition of prayer. And so to learn that, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, second book of the Bible, Exodus 33. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, you're going to want one. This will be completely a waste of time if you don't have God's Word in your hand. Exodus 33, to set the context, Israel, God's people, had just catastrophically rebelled against God. So God had just delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, and they got to Mount Sinai, and their leader Moses went up the mountain by himself to meet with God. And in Exodus uh, 32, verse 1, it tells us of the tragedy. It says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. In other words, God's people said, okay, Moses has been up there for 40 days now. He ain't coming back. God's not working for us. Yahweh's not working for us. So Aaron, make us a new one. Can I just ask a really pointed question? Is that why you stopped praying? Because there was a delay? You know, many of us used to pray for things, prayed for huge things. And we, and we laid things before the Lord, and what happened? Nothing happened. And so we thought, okay, maybe I'm doing this wrong, or maybe prayer just doesn't work. And so we stopped praying. What delay, loved one, caused you to stop praying? Was it that God didn't save that person that you were praying for so hard? Was that God didn't heal that person you really hoped he had? Was it that door that you really wanted open, that you were praying for to be open, just didn't open? Exodus shows us that when it seems like God isn't working for us, we give ourselves to other things. In this cultural moment, it's Netflix and Instagram and hobbies. And of course, there's an anything wrong with those things, but if we go to those things and we have not spent significant time with God in prayer, what we're really communicating is prayer doesn't work. Because clearly if prayer worked, if God worked, I'd be doing that. But it doesn't work. And so I'll just watch another season of The Office. That's what Israel does. Yahweh's not working, let's find a new thing. And God doesn't strike them down. He does something worse. He says, okay, you can go further, go have the land, but I'm not going with you. 
Judgment for not communing with God is simply not getting to commune with God. He's not going to strike you down if you don't pray. You just won't get to drink him in. That's the judgment. He's not going to strike you down. You just don't get to drink him in. And Moses is devastated by this. So he's going to pray the prayer of all prayers. And it's not only going to change everything for God's people back then. You guys, I'm praying with all the faith I have that it's going to change everything for us right now. Amen? You ready for this? Stay ready if you're ready. Okay. Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Do you see what prayer is in this passage? Moses is taking promises of God made in the past and bringing them to the present moment. Point one, if you're taking notes, prayer is pleading the promises of God. Prayer is pleading the promises of God. In Exodus 33, prayer is taking a past promise of God and pleading it to be realized and fulfilled, not at some later date, but in your real life and right now. What is prayer? Prayer is taking what God has said as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit thousands of years ago and pleading it to be fulfilled and realized right here, right now. And just notice how Moses is praying. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says this, now, what's that word? You see it? Therefore. There, you're going to say therefore to God? That's not casual conversation. That's argumentation. That's logic. That's saying, God, you said you would do something. Therefore, do it. God, you said this, so you can't not follow through. God, you can't lie. You promised this. Therefore, that's how you pray. Gary Miller wrote an incredible book that traced the theme of prayer all the way from Genesis through Revelation, looking for one common denominator about all prayer biblically. Do you want to hear his conclusion? His book in one sentence, quote, prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. Wow. So here's the question. Christian, do you know what God has promised to you? For you to live a life of prayer, hear me, you need to stop reading your Bible. And I, I said that. You need to stop reading your Bible. People only read when they're full. People only read during peacetime when there's no war out the window. Know who's not cuddling up with a warm blanket and a good book right now? People who are starving to death. Starving people don't read, they ransack. They know their life is on the line. And so with urgency, they're going to use whatever strength remaining to ransack the nourishment they need to survive. 
If you just want a little more Bible knowledge, go ahead, spend 2020 reading your Bible. But if you want to live, ransack the word. Just scavenge the scriptures. I have in mind um, just promises. Every time I read the word, I just have a little half sheet of paper and I just write down every promise that God has made for this is what, this is the only reason I'm surviving. And I'm just going to this to find these. And then I carry these in prayer. Why? Because guys, in my life, I don't know about yours, it ain't peacetime. It's wartime. In my life, I don't know about you, but I'm not full. I'm thirsty and I'm hungry and I'm desperate. So get up. And use whatever strength that remains every morning to just ransack the Bible. Just scavenge the scriptures and find the nourishment you need to survive. This book, Christian, is nothing less than past promises made particularly to his people to be claimed by faith right now. So, are you anxious? Exodus 14, 14, the Lord your God will fight for you. You have only to remain silent. What a promise. The Lord your God will fight for you. Do you feel like what you're going through right now is just too much? It's just too hard. Then hear the promise God makes to you in Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they shall not consume you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Are you tired? Mom is in the room. You tired? Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the faint and to those who need strength, he increases strength. What a promise. Moses shows us that prayer is when you take a promise from the past, bring it to God and say, you said this, therefore do it. And you guys, he's not turned off by that. He's honored by that because in that you are assuming God is faithful. God is true. God cannot lie. God's word is real. So ransack the Bible, scavenge the scriptures, and worshipfully hold God to his word. That's how you pray. And when you do that, see how he responds. Verse 14, Exodus 33, verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Whoa, I love that. So Moses is like, hey God, you said someone will go with me and you haven't even told me who's going with me. And God says, because you prayed, I will go with you. <laughs> God's answer, God answers our deepest need by providing his best gift himself. We'll cover this more in a few weeks, but oftentimes praying is the answer. There have been so many times in my life where I go to God thinking prayer is a means to some greater end only to realize once I'm in the presence of God, this is all I needed. This is all I was looking for. I don't need that thing. This is what I wanted. The Puritans used to say, pray until you pray. That's what they mean. Now it might take two hours to realize that. But what Moses goes to God in prayer, when he does that, he gets God and rest. And when you go to God in prayer, you can know, Christian, you will get God and rest. Come to me all. What an inclusive word. Come to me all who 
labor and our burden, and I will give you rest. That's a promise. You take it to the bank, and you hold him to your word. It might take three minutes. It might take three hours, but he will give you rest if you come to him. And then Moses makes another request, Exodus 33, 15. And he said to him, see it in the text, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Now that's amazing because what's here? What's, what, what is he talking about? Guys, he's talking about the land flowing with milk and honey. Moses says, God, I'd, I'd rather be here in the howling wilderness with you than to have a land flowing with milk and honey and comfort without you. Moses is saying, God, I cannot live without you. Nothing else matters to us. The one thing we want, the only thing we need is your presence. Point two, prayer is passion for the presence of God. It's passion for the presence of God. And this is what's been so cutting to me this week. If prayer is passion for the presence of God, what is prayerlessness? If, pray, if praying is passion for the presence of God, then not praying is saying, God, I just don't want you right now. Or I have enough of you right now. God tells us, draw near to me in James. Draw, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So what does it say about our souls when we don't draw near to God? It's not a trick question. It says, just frankly, God, I don't really care if you draw near to me right now. I'm good. I'm just going to be over here by myself. You see, prayer is never about prayer. Prayer is always about God. And we won't pray until we believe that the presence of God is the only thing we've got going for us. See that in verse 16. This is a foundational verse for the life of vertical church. Exodus 33, verse 16, Moses says to God, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Watch this, guys. Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. It's okay to get rowdy here, guys. This is the heart of vertical church. Right here, the only thing we have to offer St. Paul, the only thing that, that people can't get anywhere else is God's manifest presence dwelling among his people. So if you want good music, go to the XL, right? If you want to be entertained, just go to Roy Wilkins. It's amazing. If, if you want community, there are thousands of clubs and communities in St. Paul. But listen, if you want the real power and presence of God Almighty, he will be found dwelling among his people. That's our value proposition. It's the only thing we bring to our city, him here. It's the only thing that makes the local church distinct from every other club and group and community and gathering on the earth. God here, him here. And we say, we said when we launched this church, if we get that, 
Like it, it doesn't matter what else we get wrong. And for the last year and a half, we've gotten just about everything wrong. But if we get that right, him here, we're going to need a bigger building. Prayer is passion for the presence of God. And when we pray for his presence, let's see if God likes that prayer or not. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you've spoken, (laughs) I'll do it. For you found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Loved ones, there's a lot of things we don't know about God. But one thing we do know is he loves to give his presence to those who ask. So question, how do you know when you are really experiencing the real presence of God? How do you know it's not just like an emotional stirring, but but when you are really in it, Like the real presence of God is here. How do you know that? Well, the answer is found in verse 18. The answer is when your deepest desire and greatest passion becomes God's glory. That's when you know. See it in verse 18. And then Moses said, please show me your glory. Point three, prayer is seeking to see the glory of God. That's what it is. Prayer is seeking to see the glory of God. Please show me your glory. You guys, we're never going to outgrow that prayer. Not even in heaven. And notice, Moses isn't even asking for specific things any longer. He's moved beyond God's gifts, and he's just hungry for God himself. Let's see if God will answer that prayer. Verse 19. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place By me, where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses asked to see some of God's glory. And God says, I'll show you all my goodness. But... You can't see my face. Because if you see my face, you're going to die. And here Jonathan Edwards makes the case that we wouldn't die um, because of fear or terror. We would die because of joy. That the joy and satisfaction one would feel, a Christian would feel, in seeing the face of God would be so intense. Edwards writes, quote, it would be too much for our fragile frames to handle. So he hides him because he would explode with joy. Mercifully, God says, just stand in this part of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand. And after I walk by, then you can look at my back. Wow. Okay, turn your Bibles over to John 1.14. New Testament now. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
John 1, 14. And I'll have it up on the screen here if you don't. I love the sound of pages turning. John 1, 14. Say there if you're there. So back in Exodus 33, verse 7, God says, And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. That's where Moses just did the episode that we just read about. Now we learn about this tent in John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt. That's the same word. That means tented. Literally would say the word became flesh and tented among us. You see, you guys, Jesus is where we meet with God. He is the place. He's the ultimate tent where we meet with God face to face. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Do you remember? No one comes to God but through me. Jesus is the ultimate tent. Okay, back in Exodus 33, Moses prays, show me your glory, Exodus 33, 18. Now look at John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father. Six, it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Septuagint, or how the ancients translated the uh, Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, literally translated that love and faithfulness there in, th in Exodus 34, they translated that it's the same words as grace and truth. Okay? John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth, love and faithfulness. Back in Exodus 33, God says, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. Look down at John 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, that's Jesus, has made him known. Jesus is the face of God. Jesus said in John 14, 9, Have I been with you all this time and you still don't know me? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. You guys, and the gospel is that at Jesus' death, people not only saw God's face, they slapped his face and they punched his face and they did not die. By his wounds, we live. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Exodus 33 and 34. Therefore, prayer is, point four, experiencing and enjoying the Son of God. You know, a lot of times sermons on prayer 
don't help because preachers like me stand up and say, like I just did, pray more. But if we don't get to Jesus, we all go home feeling guilty, and then that guilt makes us not want to pray. The way I say it is you can't be pushed into prayer. You need to be pulled. Um, when I pull in home to the driveway at 5 o'clock every night, I can see uh, from where I'm parked my kitchen. And six out of seven days at 5 o'clock in the Osmus kitchen, there's a dance party happening. So my wife is dancing with our two little boys. Now, I don't need to be told, go in there, Chris. Open car door, step out, walk across. No one needs to teach me how to do that. I just fly out of the car, and I don't know if my feet hit the ground. I just run in there. Why? Because there's relationship, right? Because there's glory and beauty and love in my family that's just pulling me in. How will we become a praying church? Not by talking about prayer, but by falling in love with Jesus. The beauty and glory and love and relationship that we have with Jesus will pull, pull us in. How do we become people of continual, conscious communion with God? By falling madly in love with Jesus and his glory will compel us in minute by minute. So this prayer series is not going to be about prayer. All spring we're talking about Jesus. It's about seeing Jesus as beautiful and lovely and um, glorious and satisfying. And then our prayer is that we will all want to go into the kitchen and dance. Let me invite the band up.